Ready? One second. It's recording. It's recording. Good afternoon and welcome to Unforced Error. Four old guys talking about tennis on the day that the French Open should have been beginning if it wasn't for lockdown. Today's show, we're going to be talking about the future of tennis after lockdown when we enter the post-apocalyptic world. So joining me here today in almost alphabetical order is Adam, one of the two founding fathers of Unforced Errors. Say hello, Adam. Good afternoon. Next, we've got David, the other founding father of Unforced Errors. Say hello, David. Hello, and Jim, you are also a founding father. I will say hello too. And last but not least, we have Stephen. And Stephen, you want to say, say a sentence which resonated with David, kick off tonight's show. Yes. So you sent me roughly what today's topics were going to be. And um, I thought there was an overriding theme that we were looking at generally an obsession with elite tennis that everyone seems to have. I mean, I myself am guilty of it. I will always watch the slam finals, but I tend to not watch as much during the week or I'd, I'd never watch, say, two players who aren't seeded playing each other at a slam when in reality oh. that is still two of the top 100 players in the world playing each other. And I think that has a knock-on effect that leads to many of the points that you want to discuss later on. So. Yeah, it's something that resonated with me because it's something I see in myself so clearly. So we want to help and support players of lower ranking. But every time I have booked a ticket to watch tennis in my life was semis or the O2 finals with all the best players. There is this thing with tennis that we are definitely obsessed and why would we want to watch a Juan Souza or somebody that is completely unknown than watching the best play. So uh, how the tennis is supported, uh, how is the money distributed and some of you guys made some research haven't you? Yeah I've been doing research because we've on Unforced Errors we've furloughed our researchers so we're having to do the research ourselves. <laughs> yes. Can I come back to <laughs> Stephen's point? I, um, yes. Dan Davis, I find that very interesting. Go for it. Stephen you'll only watch seeded players playing each other on TV, is that right? Yeah, I don't remember the last time I watched players who weren't seeded, if it was two unseeded players playing each other. I've watched, obviously, unseeded yeah. players against yeah. one of the big guys, but otherwise I don't think I have. But so if yes. someone offered you a ticket for Wimbledon and said, look, it's going to be an outside court, we know the draw, there's going to be no seeded players, would you still go for the experience? I would 100% go, yeah. That's why I was saying I think I've got too obsessed with the top players myself and really... Yeah. When I go down to the park, I'll happily watch a match just between two people who are playing good tennis there. So, yeah, I don't it's... know why this obsession's happened for me. That's interesting. Adam, what's your experience? The appeal of watching Grand Slam tennis for big players, or is it the experience? Well, what do you find? Is it, are the big players the pool for you to turn on the TV if you're you're in two minds about what to do? Yeah, I agree with Steve. It's there's so many great players, but we just drawn to the Nadals, the Federers, you know, the Djokovic, the Murrays, all of those players that are in the top 20, really. And I think it's because they're the, it's all the household names. We know more about them, maybe. Yeah. We're all like fans of them, whereas the other players, we don't know too much about them. So perhaps we're not as interested in them. Yeah. Like David said, I've been to the ATP finals many times. Um, yeah. If it wasn't the top eight playing, I probably wouldn't 
be as likely to get a ticket. This is one issue we're going to be discussing. Should the top players get more of the pot? Because there's a big discussion now that they get too much and it should be redistributed to these players who are struggling now their income's been cut off. Yes. Is it justified that the top players, I mean, some research that I've done is Wimbledon, I think, is fairly typical of the Grand Slams. The winner gets almost £2.5 million. The person who gets knocked out in the first round gets about £45,000. So the winner gets about 50 times more than the first round loser. Is that fair in the light of what we've been discussing, that we, we do go for the household name? Okay, yeah, so I don't think it's fair because um, obviously they're playing seven matches to win the tournament, whereas the players who lose in the first round, they play one match. So, I mean, you do it for how much work they've done, you're looking at one-seventh in reality that they should be getting compared to the top guy. And the top guys still get all the extra money from their sponsors and things like that. Yeah. So I don't see why they need to gift the winners with so much more when at the end of the day, entertainment there's two of them and then consequently to the power of two what do you other guys think about that do you think you know, that sevenfold rule is it sounds pretty fair to me really what do you think what are you suggesting sorry basically that you split it by how many matches you play in the tournament the winner kind of gets about 50 times more than the first round loser but mm -hmm. he's saying well the winner only does about seven times as much work as the mm. first round loser you need to win seven matches to win a grand slam so it should be more in proportion with that 50 no. times is too much. That sounds very good, actually. In a way, it's kind of like mathematically logical. The thing that I was thinking about asking, why is it like this? And why is the price money so high? And why do we choose to go watch the players that we're so used to watching? There is, of course, you know, a few reasons. One of them is obvious. When you watch a movie or a series on TV... Sooner or later you get, you know, there's a human connection that allows you to enjoy somebody more the more times you see them. Even, you know, an actor or an actress that you don't think they're very handsome or, or attractive, if you see them enough, they will start looking a little bit better and suddenly they just click. It's just a human instinct. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is who is playing the most spectacular tennis? How can you remove that from them? If you go and watch a Federer match or a Nadal or Djokovic or some of these other players, you will get a show that is unlike any of the lower tennis players out there. So I know it's an exaggeration of the separation between the money, but does that count? Well, yeah, you can tell your grandchildren you've seen Djokovic. It's maybe less to tell your grandchildren if, no disrespect to someone like Dan Evans, but you've seen him play in a match. But maybe it was a great match. Maybe it was a famous match like the Isner Mahout match. But would you be happy if, uh, say, uh, you know, you were only paid seven times as much as the first round loser, but you're drawing people in? They're traveling from France to watch Wimbledon because they want that chance of seeing Roger Federer and they've booked center court tickets. They know there's a fairly good chance if they choose the right day, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, when men's tennis is on, of seeing him. So he, he does bring them in. Would Federer be happy to take a pay cut and say just earn 900,000 for winning Wimbledon instead of 2.4 million pounds? And what do you think, Adam? Would you say that's fine? I'm happy. Well, it's exactly what you say, though. It's a pay cut. Whereas if they've grown up knowing tennis is structured in a different way, for example, they only get 900,000, then they would accept it. Yeah. I suppose now it might be too late to, yeah. to change yeah. like that. The horse has left the stable. Yeah. 
That's a good point. Well, as well. you could you could freeze it because obviously the prize yeah, money goes up each year. If you froze the top ones until there was more equality in it, then no one's taking a pay cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I know, for example, a player that it's a player that we've, funny enough, we didn't mention in our favorite players. And Steve came up to me and asked me why the hell we didn't mention that guy. Uh, of course, we forgot, but hey, here he is. For example, Brown, if Brown is ever going to play, Dustin Brown. he is always going to <laughs> attract people to yes. watch. So there are some players, but then again, this kind of proves the point of who is giving the show, who is paid more to be watched. Still, I agree with what you guys are saying. Do they need to take a pay cut? You could redistribute it more fairly, but before this whole... Uh coronavirus started the big thing in men's tennis was they wanted a bigger share of the pot no one quite knows what percentage goes to the players because i think the grand slams and big tournaments are very reluctant to open their books but it's thought that the players in terms of prize money get about 10 to 20 percent of the revenue that is generated by a grand slam tournament so something like the nfl i think it's about 50 percent of revenue goes to the talents to the players so perhaps if they got a bigger share of the money, then perhaps you wouldn't have to have Federer taking a pay cut. You could give the first round losers winning more. Another thing is perhaps pay less to the doubles players, pay less to the veterans invitation people. They get a bit of prize money. There are savings which could be made elsewhere. And finally, I know I'm bringing up a lot of points, women's tennis in terms of they can play doubles as well, playing three sets. A lot of the top players supplement that by playing very successfully in the Grand Slams doubles tournaments too. So these are other ways of saving money so you could actually redistribute the money more fairly without having to cut the total prize money. Any yeah. thoughts, anyone? Doubles, they shouldn't get any money at all. Doubles? The doubles should have to pay. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm laughing too, but I think Adam's got a good point there. I know it's controversial. This is what UFE is about. But I think, yes, I wouldn't go to Wimbledon to watch doubles. Never. I wouldn't watch it on TV. If it was on, I'd turn Never. over and watch Emmerdale Farm. Does anyone go to Wimbledon just to watch doubles or hope I get a doubles match? Double. Well, when you go to the ATP finals, are you happy at the fact you've got a doubles match and That's a singles it. match? Are you more thinking, why have I not got two singles matches? It gives matches? you a time it's to one go. One of the reasons I don't go, I don't particularly want to watch doubles, but it's forced on you, isn't it? It's forced. We have to wait for a whole day, man, to watch the second singles. It's so I'm, annoying. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not implying anything, but... I think the queues for the drinks is a lot yeah, bigger when the doubles is on. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> it's true. It's not easy. But, well, they just need to come up with a plan to distribute the money. And they are thinking about what to do. What's the next step? Because this is a reset button for the world. Yeah. You know, it, and it's a time to think about what to do. Because... There's a big talk about what's happening to all the lower-ranked players these days. Some of them are finding real jobs because there's no money. Only the top 30, 50 are having any money to sustain themselves. So the, yes. the gap yeah. is massive and there's going uh, to be consequences. I read, I read only the top 200 men players earn more than the Australian average wage when you take away expenses. Yeah. And it's been estimated that to be on the pro tour, it costs a player about two and a half thousand pounds a week. Yes. Uh, they're traveling 39 weeks of the year. They have to pay for coaches, for hotel accommodation, 
hotel accommodation for their coach, yeah. restringing mm. all those rackets. So it's really 200 people making a living, but the player ranked 200 could have a bad season and kind of disappear. Yes. So is it realistic for the sports to sustain a living for, you know, you've, you've got players in the top 700 traveling around, traveling from Europe to Asia. Post-lockdown, is that going to be possible with, with travel? Is it realistic? Snooker only really sustains about 16 24 players possibly really yeah so is tennis too ambitious that's exactly what i was looking at as well i was looking at the schedule of um the two tours below the atp so the itf and the challenger events Mm -hmm. and they pretty much follow the same as the atp they have a full world circuit there's tournaments all around the world and it's just such an expense for the third tier of tennis players to be doing all that on their own budget whereas you look at other sports it's all local at that level, so they don't have all the travel expenses, they don't have all the hotel expenses, and it just seems nuts for tennis to try and get the third tier to travel around the world yeah. playing these tournaments. I mean, I looked at a few results. In the Ghana Open, there was a British winner, <laughs> two Brazilians are in the final in Tunisia, and there was a Russia yeah. v. Island final in Uganda in Kampala. I oh, mean, wow. How is that simple? I don't know how they do it. <laughs> the great results, by the way, British people. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much i can envisage in the future 30 years time maybe all major sports will take place on one amazing island in the pacific <laughs> and they'll just build it for sports <laughs> and you could have all these players instead of being on the challenger and futures tournament going over for a six-week tournament settle the rankings to see whether they can qualify for the grand slams and it will have hotel accommodation there you won't have to travel around for six weeks because it's all on this sinister shutter island where all the top elite sports in the world take place yeah you know maybe that's the way it's gonna go (laughs) that's a very interesting suggestion because the ufc is actually doing exactly what you said they bought an island yes they bought an island and they're going to start fighting over there so uh <laughs> that's <laughs> yes it's gonna happen now they wanted to do it during the lockdown doing exactly what jim said they'll have hotels <laughs> for people to stay so hey but for tennis <laughs> that's that's a different story isn't it why is tennis so see. difficult golf is much richer than tennis in terms of uh it sustains a lot more players and i'm, I'm not an expert on golf i don't know if any of you are I think you have an American tour and a European tour. And if you're a top player, you generally choose the American tour if you, once you've made it. So although America is a vast country, there's probably less traveling around. It's probably centered around, you know, a certain type of America. Um, but I think golf is a lot bigger in terms of sustaining more tennis players than tennis does. So maybe we've got quite a lot to learn from golf. I know it's, um, mm. it's a different sport, but another major difference between golf and tennis is that the male golf players earn far more than their female equivalents. Mm. Uh, whereas in tennis, there really is a quality. And I think only the top three players in the men's sport earn considerably more prize money than their equivalents, the top three in the women. Other than that, when you go down, it's pretty much the same. The number 15 women's player earns slightly more on average than the top 15 male player and Mm. so on and so forth because they can play doubles as well yeah and adam you wanted to add something as well well i was just thinking this is maybe why we have such a good standard of tennis because you have to be really good to actually make a living and you have to be of a really good standard to 
continue as a professional because if you're not you're just going to run out of money yeah, <laughs> so yeah 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 we've got this huge dedication of players that they really have to be determined to make it as a tennis professional which is producing <laughs> coming definitely though dominic team would maybe disagree with that because he said that the lower ranked players are there for a reason they're he unprofessional did. in his experience yeah he did uh, but there's also a problem now that um players have to be rich enough to make it as well as being dedicated enough yes. so um there the you limiting go which players can actually make it all the way and so you're not getting the quality you actually could have yeah it's debatable isn't it whether life is unfair isn't it really and tennis is a reflection of that it uh, is how much can you make tennis fair when the rest of the world isn't it's a reflection of the good and the bad now you touched on something very good jim and capitalism it, yeah that's it it's the way the capitalism works the rich get richer and the poorer get poorer and you really have to struggle to get there and in tennis it's really really hard how many so, thousands of players don't even earn anything and they're trying to make it in tennis if um because federer is from a fairly middle class background you think if he was from a lower class background he wouldn't be a professional Maybe he would not have the choices because if you want to be a tennis pro player, a very good one, not only you have to start really early in your life. Secondly, you really need private lessons, club memberships, group lessons. It's a lifetime of so much investment. Maybe it starts from the beginning. That's why we got to where we are, because it's such a difficult sport. Maybe the world has to change from the beginning, give more possibilities for the children and the newcomers to lower fees and becoming better tennis players and therefore make more options. It's almost like it's a sport made for the elite, the people that have money and families that can sustain a creation of a tennis player. What do you guys think? I think that's a good point. But I think there's exceptions. There For are example, exceptions. The Williams yeah. sisters. Mm -hmm. But I mean, obviously, they were extremely dedicated and their father. I don't know whether he was a pushy parent or not. But... Oh, <laughs> if you haven't seen the documentary, that father had <laughs> one vision in front of him. And that was it. Those girls suffered to become the pros that they are. But like... they're not the only ones he suffered. Yeah. <laughs> I think the perfect tennis player probably needs to be born rich and hungry, which is a kind of a paradoxical thing, isn't mm. it, really? You've got to have uh, your parents have to have the money. You probably need one pushy parent who um, excelled at lots of things, but kind of wishes they excelled at sport, mm. uh, in particular tennis. So they live vicariously through you and push you on. But they've also, you've got the hunger. You don't have it too easy, although your family's rich. You don't, you know. You're kind of driven as well, and that's a um, thing much is quite rare, really, to be rich and driven, extremely driven at a sport. Yeah. You know, they came up with a plan now. I don't know if you guys heard about it, uh, to recover the players from lower ranking than 100. Feather Nadal and Djokovic came up and invested some money in some other Has players. Has everyone signed up to that? Yes. I they mean, there was obviously resistance from team, but did it go ahead? Do we know? It kind that's of a good question. The they, were, they were saying it was going to be players who wanted to help could pay between 1,000 to 30,000 pounds, depending on the situation ranking, of the yeah. player. Yeah, to rankings under 100. I think it's a good idea. It doesn't solve the long-term problems of tennis. One qualm, if we did kind of reduce the prize money, is where would that surplus money go? So if you froze it, but the ticket prices were still high, maybe Grand Slams should open up their books 
so that players can see where it's going so that the public can see where it's going as well um, because I would hate that they froze prize money as, as Stephen um, sensibly suggested and that just meant more went to the chief executives of tennis associations. So I was actually saying to freeze the winners and runners-up prize money and to raise the prize money for the lower rounds to get it back oh. to a more balanced situation rather than yeah. just freezing all of it. It would be great if ticket prices went down so the pot was perhaps smaller, it got shared more equally, but ticket prices were low enough so that some you know younger kids whose family aren't rich get that chance to go and see, go to Wimbledon, for instance, and maybe they spread the matches around so it's not just centre court who have the, the star spotlight names. So, you know, that'd be one way of making tennis a bit fairer than society at large. Yes, well, you're talking about the prices of tennis. We found out the other day about the average of the fan that comes and pays for a ticket to watch tennis. And the average age of a tennis fan watching live is 60 years old. And that kind of 60, but definitely I like the idea of putting the prices down. I think we're kind of fighting to a system that is already a snowball effect that is almost unstoppable. But that's why this coronavirus moment, this reset of the world gives chances and opportunities to rethink the system. Which kind of brings us to uh, some people have been having a discussion with some younger players on the circuit. Apparently they're a bit bored of playing five set matches. They want more time on their PlayStation. Yes. The idea of uh, (laughs) more three set matches at Grand Slams, maybe in the early rounds and just save the five sets for for later on in the the tournament because... you know, they need to watch Netflix. And, uh, oh. Is that something that, that you guys support? Uh, phasing out five set tennis matches at, at men's Grand Slams? Or yes. should it go the other way? Should women start playing five set matches? I've literally saw some of these new generation talking on Eurosports and suggesting to move from five sets to three sets because they think that their attention spam is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> They have to look at their mobile, have to check their WhatsApp. (laughs) Maybe they get a WhatsApp check every hour or something. (laughs) It's unbelievable. What would happen? Uh, Jim, you said something good in return to your own question. You said, how could we then compare the old time greats if the old guard would have won Grand Slams with five sets? and the new generations would win with three. I think it's nice to compare different eras. It's tough to, but if you say suddenly switch to three sets for the men's singles uh, next year at the Australian Open or uh, whatever Open is next, how could you compare that winner to Pete Sampras or Andre Agassi winning in 1996? Mm -hmm. It would be uh, a different sport. It's almost like the Premier League in football, that kind of, since the Premier League in football has come out, it's almost like, Football didn't exist before then, which I think is a real shame. Uh, football before the Premier League was really nice. And for some reason, we've lost that continuity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think personally, that would be uh, one of many reasons why I wouldn't want Grand Slam tennis to switch down to three sets. Would it really attract extra fans as well? Uh, you have these people who go, oh, I'd watch tennis if it's best of three sets. But I don't watch it because five sets are too long. Would they really suddenly start watching it if it was three sets? No, I don't think they would. If the game's through five sets, people still watch. They just watch the end of the match, or they true. They yeah. tune in and out. It's making it three sets is going to make no difference. I think a lot of people would join a match at 
two sets all as well when they hear yes. how long it's been going on. Whereas if a match was one set all going into a final set, I don't think you'd get Less. as many people yes. joining in at that. Yeah, exactly. The, the actual stadiums are packed anyway, aren't they? On the slams, they, they, they tend to be. Oh, no. You can't get tickets for Wimbledon. It's impossible. It's horrible. Sometimes. Maybe a little tract for the lower tournaments, maybe. Maybe. I think they're thinking of the viewing figures because although Wimbledon is packed, they probably want to build an even bigger stadium and, and get these new fans who hated tennis before it switched to three sets. They would suddenly come running through the gates and Eurosport figures would overtake EastEnders all because of changes to three sets, which I think is uh, is unrealistic. I think I think you like tennis or you don't like tennis. Really, I don't think it's, it is. But this is what people say, that people are desperate to three attract sets. More fans. Well, you know, maybe what happens is along the generations in, say, 50 years, 100 years, sooner or later, when the new gens growing up in this new era of technology, they will change the rules when they get there and they become the bosses of tennis. And one day everything will be three sets. That will be a sad day for sure. Let's hope not, because the tennis of five sets in Grand Slams is what defines a Grand Slam. Great to have a comeback. There's less scope for a comeback if it's just best of three sets. There you is. You can't come back from two sets to love down in a, in a best of three yes. set match. It's one of the great things about tennis. Yeah, the, the games would be over as well. The matches would be over in maybe an hour. Yes, so quick. Even finals, you know, Federer might just destroy somebody. And yes, just done. People pay £150 for a ticket. The prices would have to go down. <laughs> you would yeah. think it would give the lesser players a chance if it's best of three sets. Would you fancy your chances against Federer a bit more over three sets or five sets? I'd probably fancy it a bit more over three sets. It's amazing in these ATP tournaments, it's still the top players still winning, I think, probably the same percentage of matches. Yes. So maybe it's something you would fancy your chances more, but top players would adjust and still come out on top and best of three sets. It's more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, that's what the new generation's players were saying exactly. They said, in best of three, we would have more chances against the old guard. So... So it's it's come to this that they're so scared of the the old yes. guards that they want. Perhaps they could have a handicap system and have a thirty love lead <laughs> in each game, but still have it best of five sets. That's <laughs> exactly. Come on, guys, it can't yeah. be like that. You have to move. You want to beat the best, you be the best, and that's it. Anyway, I have a, a question for you guys. What the um, French Open did by deciding to rebook their date. It's to September, isn't it? Yes. Do you agree with what they did by not talking to anyone? The French Open did not speak with anyone, booked the tournament for September and didn't think of anybody else. Do you think that's a good thing to do or should they have they waited to make the decision? I think it's a great decision if everything is lifted around the world. Mm -hmm. And by September, by the original date, they planned, which I read could be still moved back a few weeks. So other tournaments won't be happy with that if it's moved the second time. But if it all goes ahead and everything's lifted, it's a masterstroke. But if it doesn't and it gets cancelled or fans can't come along or some players boycott it, yeah. or there's a sudden outbreak of, of the virus amongst players, it's a disaster. So it could go one of two ways, and it's a, it's a big gamble. It's a bit naughty they didn't consult with other people. But if it comes off, they'll look like geniuses. They got in there first. Wimbledon could maybe have got in there and said before them and said, we're going to do September, but they didn't. So if it comes off, it's brilliant. 
If it doesn't, it's a disaster. And Guy Forget, who's the tournament organizer, will have custard all over his face. Yeah. Pause for a second. Steve had to leave due to connection problems. We'll continue without him for now. Yeah. See you, Steve, and take care. Okay, so... How easy is it to become a pro in the kind of post-coronavirus world, which mm. hopefully we'll be entering soon? But very difficult is, is travel going to be the same, really? Social distancing. I think tennis has a real advantage over sports like football and rugby. Mm. And that it isn't a contact sport. You still have to handle tennis balls. There's still big risks. So that's an advantage. Tennis, maybe it will work behind closed doors for a little while. Maybe the atmosphere will be generated by the players. They can, they can argue amongst themselves if they're doing their own line calls. Um, but in terms of... <laughs> that would be good. Hang on, they're going to be doing it, their own line calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. So it's something that's been suggested by John McEnroe before. But I mean, certainly if, if you have less officials on court, <laughs> that, you know, you, you want the minimum number of people, don't you? So umpires, line judges, there's more scope for that in the interim world before we go back to normality. Very difficult becoming a, a pro in these days. It probably favours, again, the rich people more than anything because we talk about helping out the players at the lower rung of the uh, tennis world. But there are players even before that who are trying to get on that first rung. So very tricky with the world economy. Rich mummies and daddies possibly earning less, but most of the rich survive these things. Um, they do. Money does give a safety net. So I think there'll be enough rich parents who will survive for their kids to carry on playing. Because tennis is an expensive sport, no matter yeah. what level you are, I think. Mm -hmm. buying, buying balls, buying strings, it's not just going down the park and having a kick around uh, football with your friends. So it'll be tricky, but, but manageable. Yeah, actually what you're saying brings a better question, which is what is going to happen to the tennis world when the world opens the doors again. And you're suggesting that maybe some tournaments will, or most tournaments or all tournaments will be behind closed doors with no public, but tennis starting to work. Is that something that uh, you guys would like, or do you think that the tennis players would like to, to start doing? Halep said that she was open to it, for example, on one conversation. Yeah, I think a few of them have said that they're fine with it. Mm -hmm. Dan Evans said yep. he wouldn't yep. mind seeing the US Open behind closed doors yeah yeah he said it could be iconic he said it could be so different it would actually be interesting and more memorable than a normal us open yeah oh my god really <laughs> he's got a point it's behind yeah. closed doors they can I, put I the guess. roof on as well and it won't be windy yeah he's got a he's got a point it'd be memorable <laughs> if it's behind closed doors it's like wow do you remember that year there were no spectators no there. yeah of course and the sound of the ball would be very interesting. And then the point ends and nobody claps. And Well, then, yeah. do you remember there's that famous advert with uh, top players lifting a trophy in an empty stadium? I think it was Serena Williams doing a dance to an empty stadium. And yes. the whole point of the advert was, tennis needs fans. Yes. And now we're reaching a stage where, for real, it might be tennis <laughs> without fans in the stadium, cheering on with their lager <laughs> yes. at home. And uh, guys, you have to go to YouTube and type WWE Fight. They are doing the WWE without yeah. the crowd. It's the strangest thing you guys are going to see. It's so strange to see a sport like that without the crowd. I wonder how tennis would look like Is it without... Good, David? Did you enjoy watching it? It's horrible. It's so strange. No, no. It's Of course, this is a staged do sport. Do the fans mind? Do they... They still do all the acting. They do all the acting, man. 
<laughs> you have to what watch. Sorry, Zach. I thought it was real. Yeah, I know, oh, God, Jim. Sorry, I know. Jim. I thought too. I thought oh, too. Jim, <laughs> you shattered my <laughs> <leg>. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, you have to find out. Sooner or later, guys. As long as Santa Claus is real, <laughs> I still don't But anyway, of course, WWE is staged, uh, but it's considered some sort of sport, and it's weird. I imagine tennis would be a bit strange. But anyway, how about mm-hmm. how about another interim world where you said that the average age of a, a tennis fan is sixty? Mm-hmm. That things. What about if tennis opens its doors, but older people still have to shield? In this country, over 70-year-olds are really supposed to stay at home more than under 70-year-olds. Would that be fair if uh, the Queen's tournament started again, but no one over 70 is allowed in? It's just under 70s? Yeah, yeah man, that would, that would it? include pregnant women and people with conditions. And uh, yeah, yeah. All, it would be like almost saying, look, we're opening the tennis to the healthy and to the strong. The elite. Yes. Oh, the privilege, yeah. the new privilege class. The new privilege class. Would well, can this only reopen when everyone can go along? I don't know. It might be empty anyway if over 70s can't go. That's very, <laughs> that's very true, yeah. After the average of 60 and above. Oh, my God. Then it's I suppose really... Djok- Djokovic and Federer and Murray must be nearing 70 now, so it's, it's having <laughs> yes. worrying impacts. Umpires used to all seem to be over 70, but that doesn't seem the case Not anymore. anymore. I remember your comment. It was good. They did look different. So, okay, yeah, it does make sense to start the tennis as soon as possible, even if there is not a crowd. And then, I don't know, start with the main tournaments or start everything, maybe, or waiting until everybody's ready to start. And then, uh, you know, everybody starts at the same time. Well, local tournaments first, maybe. Um, I don't know if you heard the news, but the British Championships, there are big calls to revive that. The British Championships were stopped in 2002 because of dwindling interest, which I thought was a real shame that Britain doesn't have a national tennis championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it should still have one. And because of coronavirus, people like Andy Murray, uh, Dan Evans, Carl Edmonds have, have expressed a greater interest in taking part. Because it used to be that the top players, once they became successful in Britain, didn't take part in the national championships. But now we're confined. We can't travel abroad as freely, suddenly there's a call for it. It would be great practice until the world gets back to normal. So maybe those tournaments first, and then, yeah, the Grand Slams have to take priority. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What about you, Adam? I think that the world's going to come back to normal probably quicker than people think. People are still losing money, and, you know, tennis doesn't really spoke about coming back but at all compared to football, for example. Yeah. Football, it's, it's every day you get an update of we're going to come back on this date and then it's like, oh, maybe a week later. Yeah. I think behind closed doors, I think tennis is, they're looking to come back pretty quick, I think. You know, it, people, the organisers, French Open, changing their dates and everything, everyone's quite eager. Of so course. I, don't, I don't think it's going to be big deal in sort of maybe five or six months time. I think it would just be back the same completely so, normal Australian open time mm-hmm. yeah so the um, beginning of the new year well, yeah. I hope so. until then it's scraps of tennis here and there and see what happens I'm watching wrestling on YouTube oh my god guys you have to try it it's gonna be one of the <laughs> best things you can watch on YouTube I've never watched well, anything like some it. tennis stars changing their game to wrestling or something <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, one thing that is happening already on our streets and our cities in here, in, at least in Brighton and the UK, is that tennis courts are now open. Now are open and we can play, we can play with each other. So maybe you, we're already you seeing play? the tennis world opening even you know, on our streets. So maybe that's a sign that things are going to come back to normal. Of course, for us tennis lovers, it's not coming back to normal because everyone now is buying a record and going and playing tennis and populating our tennis courts. But <laughs> maybe this is a sign that things will go back to normal quicker than we mm. think. I hope so, really. Fingers crossed. Another difference between tennis and football is a lot of football managers have been saying we can't rush back because we need six weeks to get our players ready for big matches. Mm, that's a good... We haven't had that in tennis. Um, to tennis players' credit, not every tennis player can have access to a, a tennis court, but um, I think tennis players are willing to go back and, and play even though they're not tournament ready, uh, which is a really welcome, a welcome positive thing. Yes, I've heard on the Eurosport some of the players that were interviewed, including Alep, they were talking about how Feather could come back from one day to another and win the slam because he's he's always impressed people doing this miracle work. But, you know, uh, Mats Villander and uh, Boris Becker were asking tennis players how long they would need to recover to come back to tennis. And some of them were saying a month, especially yeah. for the players that play clay court style, defending, defending, running to every ball. That's going to be very hard for players who are not fit at their maximum to go back. Now, players like Feather or players with really, you know, magical skills that they were born with that gift, maybe it's going to be easier for them. It yeah. should be the same pretty much for everyone. I mean, okay, if you come back and you're not tournament ready, it's likely a lot of your opponents won't be tournament ready either. They, they won't be able to play tournaments. So, yeah, it could favor the more skillful players who just, you know, were born able to play tennis rather than the ones who really have to work at it. But it should be fairly level playing field unless you're a millionaire living in a mansion with a, a tennis court in your living room. Yes. Adam, you have anything to add to that? The French Open being the, the next slam or the first one that would, we'd come back to, would, I think that's a really interesting one to come to because it's, yes. it's not a very open slam, is it? But with this, like you guys are saying, <laughs> sort of players that aren't fit, you know, they've been snacking a bit too much over yes. on their couches. Yes. On a bit of extra weight, it'll be, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see them running around the court. I'm anxious for that. Hey, maybe it's actually great that the French is the first one because you need <laughs> a lot of running to win the French Open. Well, David, you've got a theory, haven't you, about how that will, might affect French Open being played in September? Ah, yes. Can you about, remind me? Well, your theory is that it could well be the year that Nadal loses in the ah, final. Yes. The first time because it's... It's not a normal French Open, so normal rules don't apply. No, everything is different. And you completed my theory very well. What did you say about the times? Depending on the time of year, there's different moods, different uh, ways yes, of feeling. It's, it's something <laughs> I find. Uh, you know, some months I, I feel more full of energy traditionally every year. You know, mm -hmm. March is a bit of a slump month. Maybe September isn't a great month uh, for Nadal to be on clay. Yes, it could be possible. What do you think, Adam? It makes sense. No, no? I say bring it back. Bring it back September. We should, we should uh, hit the clay. Yes, just to see <laughs> see Nadal. 
get beaten in the final. Oh yeah. <laughs> if there's a chance of that, I'm all for it. I am. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad Stephen is not here because he wouldn't like to be listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can catch up on the replay. Yes, you can. Uh, Steve is for and who those would you of... like to win? Who would you like to win the French Open? And who do you think will win? I would love to see two new Grand Slam finalists in in the French Open. Okay, final. but the exciting ones at least. Yeah, I would. You know, I, it would be it'd be great to see. You know, somebody somebody who's fun like Monfield or something. Mm, I like That'd that. Be lovely. And his French as well. Favorite. It's like a fun Grand Slam, isn't it? The first one back. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a bonus <laughs> tennis thing. <laughs> Here you go. I like your choice, actually. That's good. I was going to say, of course, I'm still hoping for Federer to dethrone Nadal because Nadal dethroned Federer at Wimbledon. But then again, I think I like your idea more. Someone new. Tim deserves to win one because he's been knocking on the door and he really deserves to win that more than anybody else. But maybe a Monfield team final wouldn't be too bad. We will definitely be entertained. And you guys, you notice that here we are, we're not talking about the nobodies that nobody wants to watch. We are talking about, again, the top players, the seeded players that we so much love to watch. And we probably wouldn't go and watch the, the final if it wasn't for these great players. It all is interconnected, how difficult it is to make these choices for tennis to work better. We've come full circle in this Full episode, circle. I was going to ask you guys one last question. Do we do rule change? <laughs> Talking about rule change. I've thought about it, but I can think of things that I don't want to happen. Tell us what. What we were talking about today, the five sets changing to three. Ah, exactly. Like for that. things not to change because we yeah. like the way tennis is, isn't it? I mean, for my sake, I think they should make the courts a bit longer. Mm, oh, um, oh, but like, wow. like, okay, wait a second. Okay. All the lines thicker. <laughs> <laughs> now you yeah. see you're coming up with something. So rule change would be making the tennis courts a little bit bigger, like wide or long or both ways. Well, I mean, this is not serious. This is just a joke for, for example. No, I'm liking this. But, but I, I like I'm, it I'm because... No, because it does make sense. The human being is becoming taller, stronger, yeah. faster. So, yeah. hey, when are the courts going to be changed? Sooner or later, mm. even if it's in a in hundred years from now, I am certain that the tennis courts will become bigger. Yeah, maybe the, the tents. Yeah, make the tents bigger. No, the nets. The, the nets, nets should be bigger, maybe. Taller, yes, mm. yes. It's, it's quite easy for the big servers to yeah. smash yeah. an ace. One thing I'd like to introduce, I have come up with a rule change. It's more of an invention, mm -hmm. really. Go for it. I find it very frustrating. You serve the ball into the net and it kind of bounces back in the middle of the court. So my invention, I'm sure someone's considered this already and it's not mm -hmm. feasible, is have a kind of Velcro material on the net so that the ball sticks to the net so it doesn't come back onto the court. So you have to trundle slowly up the court like Serena Williams to retrieve the ball before you do your second serve. You lose your rhythm, you do a double fault. Can they not invent a net where the ball sticks to the net if you hit the net? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and then there's no waiting? It just stays there. <laughs> well, yeah, you pick it up at the end of the point yeah. after yeah, you've yeah. done your second serve, but it would save a bit of time. Man. Uh, I think... 
<laughs> I, I must patent it. I think it'd be worth millions. But are there, are there any drawbacks to this? Why, why hasn't anyone done it already? Actually, as long <laughs> as the ball does not stay above the level of the top of the net, I think it's fine. No problem. You can definitely, yeah. in that technology, it shouldn't be very difficult to create. Because tennis balls are very easy to get stuck to yeah. certain types of materials. Would it ruin your ball? No, it's almost like a Velcro material because you do have that invention on the back of shorts. You can get something, can't you, where the ball, you can stick it with Velcro to the back of your shorts, almost like an extra pocket. Have you ever seen that? Yes, yeah. I know exactly it's what you're talking about. Same principle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it doesn't yeah. work because when you start running, the ball always falls off velcro yes so that was a useless invention but people did buy it they used to buy that yeah well i tell you where that invention would really play an important role is in our amateur tennis because how many times do we sometimes yeah. serve it hits the net it comes back to the middle of the court and we have to walk forward be, pick up the ball it would be for amateur tennis only yes. i don't want to put ball girls out of business exactly <laughs> be for amateur tennis only you can even install some vacuum cleaners, man. Some automatic stuff that just sucks the ball out of the net and then goes back to the player's hands. Like <laughs> yeah. a bowling alley. When you hit a strike or something and it goes all the way down. Yes. Just... yes. There you yes. go. This is good. You know, I think this is the day of the most absurd rule changes, but I like them all, to be honest. I like this. So, Adam, getting back to your thing, it would almost be like if you could have the ball to... If it hits the net, if it rolls into a pocket, it's drawn in magnetically. It's almost like a remote control you have in your pocket after you do the first serve. Then it could go down one of the four pockets so it's not in the way. I'm sure this wouldn't be very expensive. It would, <laughs> it would be fine. It would. Yeah. Okay, so here goes one that I'm not sure about. More camera changes during the match. So even first person starting to put you know mini cameras on the bandanas of the players so we could feel their experience playing tennis, or cameras from above, cameras from the side. Every once in a while there's a tournament that places the cameras a lot more in ground level, and you really feel what the player is experiencing and what he has to do. I'm all in favor of more camera angles. Yeah, I like it. You get so used to the same old camera angles, really. I love it when they kind of show the player coming to the net, so the camera's kind of on the net. Yes. They do that a lot more in coverage, uh, which is great. From the air, I can't remember actually if, if they often film from just above the players, because that's an interesting angle Helicopter too. Helicopter angle. They stopped that. Sorry? They, they do it a lot more, but, well, I mean, Murray, he complained about a lot, but one of the things he did complain about quite a lot was, um, I can't remember exactly what they called it. It was like a sort of... Spider. Was it a spider? Yes. Spider cam. Yes, and yeah. Murray was not happy because it was coming too close to him. I remember that. Yeah, and he could hear it behind him and yes. he was moving around. Yes, and I think they've reduced the amount that they use it now. But oh wow, I didn't know I'm that. All for the player level because that's a great angle. Like you say, you get a really good feel of the style that the player is playing and what it's like to actually receive the ball and get a good feel of the atmosphere actually on the court. You really than... feel it, it's true. What about the camera in the bandanas and the heads and the foreheads? Have they done that? Uh, maybe we've like seen it before. The Computer Games has done that for sure, but I don't remember if we've ever watched that because it would be quite spectacular and really see where he's looking. I, I would fully approve of that. Actually. I think that would be very interesting if you just had a, a camera on the bandana for the whole match. 
you'd see them going to their chair at the interval, looking mm. up at the umpires. It would be a bit like, I don't know if you've ever watched this, I'm sure you have, Adam, a programme called Peep Show. Yes. Half the take of it was you saw what the character saw. Yes. So you would yeah. see the face yeah. when you were talking to them. If you were kissing a girl, you would see the lips go up close. Oh, my I God, yes. That's a rule change I approve. Your rule change is approved by me. <laughs> but, you know, I'm that person, when I'm watching tennis on TV, if they change the camera for too long, I get pissed off. I love the camera angle that they came up with. So it would have to be here and there, not constant. Yeah, maybe changeovers, they could show the, the new camera angles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Follow them to the toilet. Is that too far? <laughs> I think some players need following to the toilet. They do, don't they? Because we don't know what they're doing in there, man. Maybe it's best we don't know. Maybe it's best <laughs> we don't know. Maybe pay-per-view for that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Late-night pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they would just have like a, some masseurist waiting to, to work on some problem that they didn't want to admit they had. But anyway, okay, so guys, thanks very much for the conversation. Uh, it was a good flow. And um, anyway, thanks for coming. Jim, any oh, final no, words? Thank you. I really enjoyed that. And thanks for setting up, David. And so nice to speak to you again, Adam. Thanks for coming, Jim. Take thanks care, for coming, everyone. Adam. And have a great yeah, evening. I enjoyed it. Thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was good.